This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. friends. Welcome back to Worth Recovery, podcast featuring women and sex addiction. My name is Amy. I'm your host here. And I'm excited to be back with you again. I feel like it's been a while. Not I feel like it has been a while. Let's be real. So it's been almost six weeks since my last episode. And uh, yeah, I I needed some time, some break, right? But uh, I'm grateful to be back today and to share with you some things that have been on my mind. I am one particular topic that I want to share with you about some things that have been on my brain recently. There's a lot of those, but let's just start with one. So I saw this um, meme the other day and it said, if something is worth doing, it's worth doing poorly, right? And I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. And just kind of like kept going. Um, And then that kind of really stuck with me for a while. And I was thinking about it for a long time. If something is worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. And that's like the total opposite of the attitude I grew up with in my home, right? Which is, if something's worth doing, it's worth doing well, right? If it's worth doing, it's worth doing well, or great, or perfect, or however many, you know, words you want to put in there. That was kind of the attitude that I grew up. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. And we shouldn't settle. We shouldn't do things poorly, right? If it's worth doing, if it's worth your time and effort, then it's worth doing well. And I saw this meme, like I said, if it's worth doing, if something's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. And it kind of stuck with me. And I thought about that a lot. And, uh, and I want to just talk about that kind of change and shift in attitude. Um, because I was like, I was thinking about, let's come up with a couple examples, brushing your teeth, right? So brushing your teeth, is it worth doing? Yes, it's worth doing. It's what keeps you uh, without having to have cavities, right? Without having to have a lot of dental work. If you can brush your teeth and get keep them clean and it creates a great smile and good mouth hygiene and all those good things, right? So is, is brushing your teeth only worth doing if you do it perfectly, if you do it well? Um, or is brushing your teeth worth doing even if you do it poorly? And I would say it's worth doing even if you do it poorly, right? Like I'm not a really great flosser. I just had my six month checkup a couple weeks ago and uh, I don't have any cavities. Yay for me. But I did get a little lecture about I need to floss a little bit more and blah, blah, blah. Right. Okay. I'm not a great flosser. However, right. I I do enough that I don't have cavities. I do enough that my mouth stays clean and is healthy, right? And I, I do it. And it might even be, I would say, probably poorly. I probably floss poorly. And it's enough to keep things well and working, right, for me. Brushing your teeth, whatever the effort is, I would assume, is better than no effort, right? So brushing your teeth is worth doing. If something is worth doing, it's worth doing even poorly, I would say exercise is another one of those, right? How many exercise 
programs get started and then end because we can't do it perfectly or because we don't do it every day in a row like we're supposed to or because we skip one here or we skip one there. And so we don't exercise our bodies and we don't move and take care of our bodies. Is that is that what we what we want, right? Like if we want to have be more flexible, be stronger, be healthier, we need to move whether we do that perfectly or not, whether we do that well, right? Um, I think it's something worth doing, whether we do that well or whether we do that poorly. Is it still worth doing? I would say yes. I think it's still worth doing. And as I started to think about this idea of like, there's a lot of things worth doing and I can't do always do them well, right? And sometimes I do them poorly. And sometimes because I do them poorly, I stop doing them altogether, How many times have we done that, right? We start a diet or we start a new eating program and it, because we don't do it perfectly, we just throw it out the window, right? And we just don't do any of it. But I would venture to say, even if we only ate on program or we did our eating plan 50% of the time, I bet that would be better than 0% of the time. And 50% of the time in like our trained minds is still failing, right? That's only, that's failure. But at the same time, and at the same time, it's still progress, right? Progress is progress, no matter how small it is, even if it's only a 10% change or a 15% change, um, it's still progress. And so even if we're doing it poorly, according to our brains, that's still a change and that's still progress and it's still worth doing and worth the effort. I've been thinking a lot about that recently, probably because it lends itself into this concept that we talk a lot about um, in the world, and that is perfectionism, right? Perfectionism. Perfectionism is something I struggle with. It's probably something a lot of us struggle with. And, you know, like the definition of perfectionism, I don't know how you define perfectionism, but Um, The way that I define perfectionism is kind of this refusal to accept anything less than this standard that I have set, right? So I set the standard for myself, for my performance, for anything. And if I don't meet that standard, whatever that standard is, if I don't meet it, um, I'm, I'm not good enough. I shame myself, right? It's a black and white thinking. It's an all or nothing thinking stereotype here of I either meet this this standard, or I'm a total failure, right? So it's only black and white binary thinking, which we know in recovery and we know in life doesn't work. That idea of binary thinking is either all good or all bad. If I don't meet the standard, I'm a terrible person. We, we hate that. I I hate that. (laughs) Um, I started out my life though, especially in recovery, I started out that way. Because I had been living in an extreme, um, I had been living this very addictive lifestyle. I had been living this very uh, secretive world, and it was an extreme, right? I was acting out, and I had these a lot of these binary thinking, um, a lot of this kind of perfectionism idea, and and so I I was imperfect in in um, addiction, right? When I was acting out, I was not perfect, and I was creating all these horrible things and I was damaging people and damaging myself and, and living this, you know, horrible life. And then when I started recovery, I swung right all the way to this other extreme of 
I was going to do this perfect. I was going to be the perfect therapy client. And I was going to do all my homework and I was going to, you know, be the perfect um, recovering addict and go to all my meetings and, and make sure that I do everything right and do all that. And I swung to this like other extreme of doing things perfectly. And of course, I realized within days that that was never going to happen, right? That I couldn't maintain that perfect standard, but it, sh- it put me into a shame spiral. And it was a process to go through and unlearn this idea of perfectionism. <clears throat> and I learned in that process that perfectionism is just a way, a form of control. It's a way I try to exert control over my world and the chaos that is out of control in my world. Because if I am the perfect therapy client, right, then that is, I'm going to get the results that I want. I'm going to get the life that I want. And that means I can, I'll control the people in my life, right? Um, That somehow, if I do these things perfectly, I'm going to get the exact results that I want. It's some way of controlling my environment, um, the people in my world, and also the world in general, right? If I do these things completely perfectly, then I should get the exact results that I want. And, and that leans into my mathematical, logical brain because, you know, that's what we do with math. That's what we do with numbers, right? If I can follow this procedure perfectly, then I'll solve and get X at the end, right? I'll get the results and the intended results that I want. And so, I grew up that way. That's how my logical brain works, right? Is that I can control numbers at least. And that level of control should be able to be um, expanded to include my environment, right? And perfectionism is about that control. It's about getting the results that you want. And to an extreme though, right? To a, a very unhealthy extreme. The other problem is that we set that standard usually so high that it's almost unachievable, Um, sometimes, a lot of times it's unachievable. I know I set that standard for myself a lot of times so high that there's just no way I could do it. Um, and so part of this process of recovery is learning to recover from our perfectionism and learning to do things that are worth doing, even if we do them poorly, even if we can't do them perfectly. It's this balance, right? Of putting enough effort into something that it, it is making a difference in your life, right? Um, but you're not obsessive over it and you're not continuing to to drive yourself crazy and those around you crazy by trying to meet this unachievable standard in perfectionism. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that today and talk about the things in our life that are worth doing even if we're doing them poorly, Okay, because I think that there's a lot of those things that are worth doing, even if they're doing poorly. And should even change that mindset of poorly, right? Because what's the standard there? If we tell ourselves, well, I'm going to do it, I'm just going to do it poorly. You know, that's not, that's not a good mindset, right? To be telling myself that I'm doing it poorly. But I loved that meme. And I loved that idea of like, if I can't do it perfectly, it's still worth doing, even if it's not at some unachievable standard. And so what are some of those things in our life that we need to be doing, even if we're doing them not as well as maybe we want? And how do we, how do we embrace that? And how do we move that forward in our lives? 
So I wanted to start by talking about or uh, sharing a quote with you um, from, you know, Brene Brown, right? Who I consider to be one of my mentors, even though she doesn't know who I am. But definitely um, Brene Brown uh, from the book. This is the book, The Gifts of Imperfection. This is one of her first books that she wrote. I think it was not her first, but one of the first. <coughs> Excuse me. And I love this quote that she has, or this, this, it's a quote from her book um, in the introduction. And it says, whole, and she talks about, in this book, she talks about wholehearted living. Wholehearted living is about engaging in our lives from a place of worthiness. It means cultivating the courage, compassion, and connection to wake up in the morning and think, no matter what gets done and how much is left undone, I am enough. It's going to bed at night thinking, yes, I am imperfect and vulnerable and sometimes afraid, but that doesn't change the truth that I am also brave and worthy and of love and belonging. So one more time, because I think it's so important that you understand this concept. Wholehearted living is about engaging in our lives from a place of worthiness. It means cultivating the courage, compassion, and connection to wake up in the morning and think, no matter what gets done and how much is left undone, I am enough. It's going to bed at night thinking, yes, I am imperfect and vulnerable and sometimes afraid, but that doesn't change the truth that I am also brave and worthy of love and belonging. So thanks, Brene, for putting that out there, first of all. I I know sometimes um, we, we beat ourselves up, right? And we don't feel worthy. We don't feel worthy to be loved. We don't feel worthy for belonging. We don't feel worthy of acceptance. We don't feel worthy of other people's time or effort. Um, A lot of us in recovery, no matter what you're recovering from, for me, my recovery journey started with sex addiction. That's what got me into a recovery program. And from there, it just, I just learned how many other things I needed to work on and recover from. Part of that is perfectionism, right? And part of that is this, I'm never enough. And and that's that's part of perfectionism, right? I'm not enough. I can't meet these unachievable standards. And so I think that, you know, as whatever brings you into recovery, whatever brings you to this podcast today, it's important to recognize that our recovery journey is unique, that no two hearts are exactly the same. Whatever has been going on for you in your in your life is unique to you. And this process of learning to live wholeheartedly, um, of accepting yourself, of becoming enough, of giving up perfectionism, of giving up shame, and allowing yourself to live in the messiness of life is important. It's a huge part of recovery. It's a huge part. Our our world, um, our political system, in whatever country you live in, our political system, our monetary system, our economy, everybody wants to classify things and, and really look at, you know, black and white, um, true, not true. Uh, we want to put things in nice little boxes. That is definitely me. And that's what we do with perfectionism. That's what we do with shame too, right? Is we put ourselves in the shame box and we say, I'm not worthy of love. That's in another box. I'm not worthy of belonging. That's in another box. I'm not worthy of recovery. That's in another box. I'm not worthy of even self-acceptance. That's in another box. I'm just going to sit here in the shame box, right? We put ourselves, we classify ourselves, and we live a lot of times in extremes. And wholehearted living, healthy recovery is really about 
living in the messiness of the middle, living in the messiness of the middle and, and allowing ourselves to do something, whether we do it well, whether we do it poorly, doesn't matter. We just do it. Right. Um, I love how she says that at the very last part, but it doesn't change the truth that you are also brave and that you're worthy of love and belonging. So how do we live in the messiness of the middle? How do we, how do we do that? How do we accept that about ourselves and about other people? So real quick example. Um, so I'm a musician. I grew up playing lots of different instruments. I taught music for a long time. I still continue to teach music. And I was involved in a lot of performances. And there is nothing in my mind better than live music. Like nothing better than live music. Uh, there's just an energy and a passion that comes with that. And you've probably been to at least one live concert, right? And you've seen some live musicians play. And I just love that. I love being with live musicians and listening to live music. However, having been a musician, having not having been, because I'm still a musician, being a musician, <laughs> being a musician, I've also been on the other side of live performances. And I know that no live performance is perfect. Not a single one ever is perfect. In fact, most of them are fraught with all sorts of craziness and all sorts of problems and errors and issues and chord changes that don't happen correctly and blunders on instruments or solos or whatever the deal is. I know that most, if not all, I would say all, but I was just trying to hedge there, all live performances are not perfect. There's all sorts of blunders and changes there. Now, as an audience member, you might not be aware of that, right? Um, you might, but you might not. And usually as a musician, you get used to that flow and you understand that things are not going to go perfectly. And so you plan for that and you learn how to roll with it and you learn how to make it work and you learn how to go with what's happening around you and, and, and make it a successful performance. But what I learned from that, I think, is that we don't, you know, we go to concerts, like concerts are sold out all the time. All like whole tours are sold out, right? Why do we go to concerts? Not because it's perfect, not because the music is perfect, but because there is an emotion and a connection that comes from experiencing something together. If you want to listen to per perfect music, if you want to listen to perfect performances, then you would only listen to recorded studio recorded music. And because they, they can edit all the it out and they can make it perfect and they can record it over and over again until it's perfect and they can make that happen. And it's a more of a perfect performance. But if you want to experience something, if you want to be connected to the music, if you want to be connected to the people around you, if you want to experience music and the emotion that comes with music and the mental challenge of keeping up with live music, then you go to a concert and most people go to concerts. They still listen to music, but they even record concerts and they'll listen to the recording of the concert more like the live kind of recording of the concert than they will a studio um, recording. Why is that? Because we love the experience and the emotional connection that comes from, from those experiences. That's, that's more uh, valuable to us than just listening to, uh, you know, 
a song on the radio or a song on a CD. That kind of dates me saying a CD, right? Because we don't even use CDs anymore. Um, And so it's important to realize that as a whole, as a society, many times we embrace, right, this imperfection. Live concerts are imperfect concerts. They're imperfect performances. They always are. And yet we value them because of that imperfection. I think that it's all, um, and so we need to think about that in our lives, right? What is worth doing well and really putting the time and the effort into doing it really well? And what's worth doing no matter what we do, no matter what happens, right? Some of those things for me, I've been evaluating a lot of those for me. Uh, Connecting with other people is worth doing, even if I do it poorly, even if I'm not perfect at it, even if I say the wrong thing, even if I have to circle back and make amends and say I'm sorry and, and kind of change things or change my own behavior, connection with other people is worth that because that's love and belonging, right? Cleaning my house. I never clean my house perfectly, but cleaning my house is worth doing no matter what the effort level is, even if it's just a little tiny bit, even if it's just a little bit cleaner than it was yesterday, that's worth the effort because I'm, I'm making progress, right? 10% is worth it. I think about it, you know, we talk about uh, money, thinking about money, a savings account, average savings account in the United States is less than 2%. And yet we're so excited for 2%, right? 2% 2% is, if we look at that scale of 100%, which is what we always kind of do with our minds, right? 2% is totally failing. That's not even like on the, you know, not even in the spectrum of success. In fact, most of the time we would just round that down to zero, right? And yet we do it. 2%, we're excited about that, right? We're excited to get a 2% return on our money. So where are you at in that spectrum? You know, where are you at with your perfectionism? Okay. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing no matter what level you're doing it at. If you sit down and you say, so these are some of the things worth doing in my life. Um, For me, recovery is one of those things that's worth doing. This podcast is one of those things that's worth doing. Therapy is one of the things that's worth doing. Cleaning my house, brushing my teeth, making some efforts, right? Making some efforts to connect with people. There are a lot of things in our lives that are worth doing. And sometimes we don't do them at all because we have this imperfect standard. We have this, I'm sorry. Sometimes we don't do them all because we have this unachievable, perfect standard. And that all came out mixed up earlier. But we have this unachievable, perfect standard. And if we think we can't do it this way, then we're not going to do it, right? And I'm saying we can't live like that. That's an extreme thinking. That, That mentality is not going to get us where we need to go. We need to be able to find some way to make progress, whether that progress is 2%, 10%, 15, 20, 40, 80, whatever that percentage is, we need to find some way to make progress and to learn to be okay with that progress, to learn to do what Brene tells us, right? Which is that when we lay down at night, we say to ourselves, yes, I am imperfect. I am vulnerable. I am sometimes afraid. And You might even say to yourself, I failed today. I didn't make these things happen. But that doesn't change the truth that I am also brave and worthy of love and belonging. No matter where you're at today, right? No matter what has been going on in your life. 
No matter if you feel like today was a total failure, no matter if you feel like your whole life for the last eight months or 12 years or whatever has been a total failure, you are worth recovery. You are worth love and belonging. You're worthy of love and belonging. And you're brave because you're trying and you're making an effort. Listening to this podcast today is an effort. And that in itself makes you worthy. And even if you didn't listen, you're still worthy. I think that's one of the things that I've learned in this podcast and recovery journey for me is that everyone that I meet is worthy of love and belonging. Every single person. And that is really difficult sometimes. That's a really heavy concept as you look at people and you look at what they're doing to self-sabotage their lives or you look at what the effort they are or are not doing and you recognize, wow, just like me, this person is worthy of love and belonging. And yet it's what brings us together as humans. It's what brings us together as people. And to recognize that, And honor that in other people helps me to recognize and honor that in myself. It also helps me to look at whatever progress is being made is progress. I think a lot of us, you know, especially if you're similar to my age, (laughs) you grew up in that generation where, you know, the standard was set so high, it was nearly unachievable. And it was set that way for me by parents, by other people. I also learned that I could use that to my advantage. If I could perform at a certain level, I could control things and I could get the results that I wanted until it just didn't happen that way anymore. And I had to learn to deal with my own perfectionism. And I had to learn to live in the gray and the messiness of the world and and not let that envelop me and not let that blur the lines so much that I don't know who I am or what my standards are, right? That's the that's the problem with living in the gray. And that's not the problem. That's the challenge, I would say. The challenge of living in the gray is knowing myself well enough that I can navigate all of the different things going on here in the middle and still maintain myself, right? And still maintain who I am and my thoughts and my concerns in my life and my emotions, right? And that goes back to this concept of boundaries, which is going to be our next episode, just about boundaries, where those boundaries come from, having those boundaries so that I can navigate the middle and, and be fluid enough to navigate that middle and love and myself and others and accept things that are going on and yet maintain who I am, maintain my own uh, person, So that's what I have for you today. I hope that that's helpful. I know it's really helped me the last few weeks to really reflect on this idea of what I'm doing and where I'm spending my time. And even if it's only 2% of my time, is it something worth doing? Because I've learned that I'm doing a lot of things that maybe aren't worth doing. And really to kind of learn to navigate that and figure out what's worth doing. Even if it's no matter what level I do it at, What do I want to spend my life doing and spend my day and my time doing? And to find ways to celebrate all progress, all progress. I want to celebrate that with you today. Wherever you're at today, I want you to know that it's, it's enough. It's good. It's so good. And just look for the 1%. What's the next step you need to make, right? That's a very uh, recovery slogan that we use. What's the next right step? What's the next right step that's going to make progress for you? And if it can't be, you know, a giant step, that's fine too. 
What next step is going to help you make progress? Whatever in your life that you deem is worth doing, it's worth doing. No matter what, no matter the standard, no matter the level, make it happen. It's worth doing. Okay. I love you. I pray for you. I think about you. I love you. I pray for you. All of those great things. Uh, Until next time. Amy. stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.